Welcome back to the Wrong Advice Podcast. I'm your host, John Pacitto, and I am extremely excited to have the one and only Candace Cooper on with us today. Candace, how are you doing, my friend? I am so good, John. How are you? I'm having a very stressful but wonderful day, uh, culminated by this very first video podcast of mine, um, and just having a hell of a day. I fucking love it. Let's roll. <laughs> Um, could you give the listeners a quick introduction to who you are? Oh, God, I should have thought about this before. <laughs> um, okay, who am I? I would sum it up in I'm an entrepreneur. So I have a background in the arts, um, in cosmetology, in acting and modeling. Um, so I've really been like honing the skills the last I'm not telling you my age, but a long time. Um, so yeah, I think it really all culminates in entrepreneurship. In That's cool. The artistic realm. Mm -hmm. um, this is something that you've been doing for a while. Um, you started, we met each other, I want to say, gee, I don't know, seven, eight years ago. It was a, a fair bit of time ago. Um, you were living, working in New Jersey and now you are no longer. Um, tell me a little bit about your path to entrepreneurship and to living cross country and sort of all that has brought you to where we are today. Yeah. Okay. So I grew up, we both grew up right outside of Manhattan, right? So I had an uncle who was a hairstylist in Manhattan and he would always take me to the city to hang out. And, you know, when I was little, so I knew that I lived very close to the greatest city in the entire world. And I basically strong armed my mom and bullied her until she let me try acting. And she told me I had one audition to prove to her that I could do it. It was a Macy's commercial in 1991. And wow. it was my first ever audition. I actually didn't even know how to read very well. Um, and they had sides and I kind of like panicked, but I ended up booking it and wow. my mom was like really surprised because this was kind <laughs> of like her bargaining chip. She's like, if you book that, if you don't book this, I don't ever want to hear about acting ever again. And I was Fair. like, okay. I was like, okay. So after that, um, I ended up kind of applying to Ford models three times, three years. I, I, you know, and this is like as, shots. as a kid. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, my mom told me that I was never allowed to act again because the lady who was my agent for the Macy's commercial ended up stealing like a lot of her clients money. And my mom was like, I will never let you model or act ever again. She's like, if Ford signs you, she was like, I will let you do it. Cause it's like a reputable company. Right. Sure. So third year, she was like, this is it. We're like not doing this anymore. This is like the last time we're sending in your headshots. Well, it was my lucky year because Ford signed me. And I basically worked from like nine until about 15. Wow. Six days a week. That's crazy. Yeah, she, I didn't, I didn't, yeah, she, I did not know this. Yes, yes, yes. So she was not very happy with me because my mom had to drive me all over Brooklyn, Queens, Manhattan, like wherever the casting was. And my mom did not like New York City. But yeah. I was like, 
so successful that I was able to, you know, like help the family out and stuff like that. So that's amazing. I mean, I I have noticed this week you've been sharing quite a few like throwback sure. Thursday. Yeah. <laughs> little kid modeling days. And I was like, oh, oh that's so funny. Um, yeah. Talk about like taking life, taking like a circuitous, circuitous, circuitous. I'm bad with that. But uh, roundabout way of like you are now working full time. Um, yeah. doing hair and modeling. Um, I just think that's so funny. Like, did you know at like a young age that this is sort of like, what was it about the acting modeling bug that bit you at such a young age? Okay. Well, I thought I could live in the TV. There were moments <laughs> when I was like three or four years old where I was like, if I just get a hammer and break it open, like I could get snuggly bear. Remember snuggles from like the snuggle? Like I legit was like, People live in the TV. I'm going to be in the TV. So I said to my mom when I was like two years old, I said to her, I was like, I want to be in the box. And she was like, what are you talking about? And I was like, the for, box. And I like, for, for kids who are, yeah, for kids who are listening. So TVs used to have a box behind them. <laughs> they didn't, they didn't use it to just go on the wall. They used to have yeah. quite a substantial amount of space behind them where all the television components were, which is fucking hilarious. But I was like, I want to get in there. I want to live in there. So, yeah. So it was just like always in my mind. And then I just kind of like, I was a smart kid, you know? So I put two and two together. I knew my uncle like worked in the city. I knew a lot of his clients were like either on TV or, you know, whatever. He would take me with him sometimes to go to their house and like do their hair and I would play with their kids. Um, so I knew that I was close to opportunity at a very sure. young age yeah mm -hmm. that's pretty cool um so nine to 15 that's a pretty formidable amount of years in one's life and i imagine that being a child actor model all of those things are not like the best grow up environment for a kid how did you deal with like the pressures of like going through getting rejected winning jobs like how did that like sort of inform your childhood and then you know maybe on into your your adult life yeah that's an interesting question and basically because my mother was not into me being a model there was never like this pressure for me to perform and book it like I think she would have preferred me to have failed so she didn't have to drive me all over New York City, right? So there wasn't this, like, the only pressure that I felt was from myself to succeed. And back in, like, the early 90s, <clears throat> it was not popular to be a brunette. And I remember going in and trying to get signed because um, I wanted to do commercials. So Ford had signed me for print work. And then the next step was to be signed for commercial, like a commercial agent. Mm -hmm. And I remember them saying to my mom, you know, she's just too ethnic looking. She's never going to work. Right. So she, she was just, she's just too ethnic looking. Now my sister has blonde hair. And so they literally said to my mother, if you let us sign the blonde one, we will like, Pity sign the brunette. Oh my god! Now, now I had all this pressure as like at that time I was probably like ten, you know, and I wasn't good at like public reading. Like, oh my goodness, it was you're a kid. The the most intense thing ever. My mom would be like, "Read it with feeling. Read it with feeling." So I was just like, I was like, okay, okay, I'll read it with feeling. 
Um, and now I'm a good public speaker, but it was a lot of rejection. And I also had like a really tough time in school because it was a very like tight knit, small town community. So to have that, like one kid, there's another girl who acted as well, but I was busier. So to have that one kid leave, it was very hard for me to like fit in, in school as well. And then when you go to the city, you know, you have adults rejecting you and then you can't really be friends with the other little kids because they are your competition. So you, as a child actor, really are like on an island of your own. I've had moms cross my name out on the sign-in sheet. I've had a little girl insulted a like fashion brand. We were on a go-see and she was like, I hate these clothes. They're ugly. And they were like, what's your name? And she was like, Candace. And she said she was me. And I got like ripped by my modeling agency. Ford called me. They were like screaming at my mom. Like, how could you? And then I was like, combine our pictures. I was like, compare compare our pictures. And they were like, it wasn't Candace. It was this other little girl who did look a lot like me. But it was very shysty for a 10, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 year old. So Which aren't. very cutthroat. And then yeah. like, I, I heard... Like I started to go through puberty and I heard some of the stylists be like, oh my God, we have to like cut the back. She's so fat. And like <sighs> horrible, horrible things to say to a my child. My goodness. Yeah. Especially yeah. such like formidable years of, of a young girl to be told like inadequacies dealing with all that drama and stuff. Um, I'm a pretty well adjusted male in his thirties who spent a lot, a lot of time in the last two years going to therapy. Um, did you share a similar path at all? <laughs> Well, the reason why I stopped when I was 15 was because I had like a nervous breakdown. Um, It was so bad in school. Like I did a Tampax ad in YM magazine. It was like in all the magazines. And it said, last night I lost a ton of padding. And the girls photocopied it in the library. And they, and they put, yeah, from my bra. They like came into the classroom, handed it to me, and they put, tampons on my locker and squirted them with ketchup so it was like i felt like i was like hunted in school you know because i was on the cover of all their toy boxes at christmas and they had (laughs) to sit in class and i got to go like i was jealousy because i mean that sounds like you would think it would be so much fun and what unique and cool experiences. But when you couple it with like that level of traumatic shit going on, on the other side of it, that's, that's not ideal. It was really difficult. It was really difficult. Cause I had a tough home life and work was really my solace. But again, it was like a shark infested water at work. And then it was shark infested water at home and then shark infested water at school. So I felt like the fact that I even like made it out alive without like an eating disorder or some sort of like, you know, issue or drug addiction or whatever, like I'm lucky. Yeah. I mean, kudos to you. That is, that takes a sort of level of mental fortitude that I'm sure not many people who went through that child, I'm going to use fame and air quotes, but like, you know, working in, in the public eye at a young age a lot of those people don't adjust very well in their adulthood, um, which you've done a good job of doing. So congrats. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm, I'm super curious. So like you go through high school, it's chaotic. You're working, you're going through normal childhood stuff. 
did you go to college? Like, how did you get into doing hair full time? Was that something that you went to like school for? And then, you know, obviously the modeling stuff picks back up again later in life. What was that sort of like, you know, in your early twenties? Well, I am a third generation hairstylist. My grandma, shout out Charlie. She's 86. <laughs> she is still working. That bitch will oh, wow. never hang up her scissors. Um, so I actually tried not to be a hairstylist. Um, and I had a teacher, an English teacher, right as I was about to graduate. I will not shout her out. Um, I'm not shouting out my English teacher. But she pulled me into the room and she said, look, you're really smart. Don't just be another stupid New Jersey hairstylist. And that was literally as I was about to go to hair school. And I was also dating a guy who was a bit older than me. And he and his family really just were like, you're such a loser. You're an actor. Like, go to If you were my daughter, I would make you go to college, right? So, and I really wasn't living with parents. I was staying at my grandparents' house because I didn't have like a stable home life. So, you know, my grandma could really only give me as much advice as she could give me, you know, which was become a hairstylist. So, but, but I did love hair because I was exposed to the greatest makeup artists, hairstylists, stylists, photographers. Like I've worked with really amazing, talented people. So for me to go into hair, coming from hair, doing all my friends hair in high school, it was not like a stretch for me to become a hairstylist. Now I did cave to the pressures of, people around me and I quit hair school mm-hmm. and I went to Dover business college route four and I graduated with honors, um, from a computer information specialist program, which basically is a fancy name for a secretary, which was yeah. like in 2002, like that was really all I had the option of being was like a secretary, you know, or a hairstylist or, you know what I mean? Like nothing, it was, it's not that long ago, but it was that long ago. It was a different so, world. It was pre-iPhone. Well, also, it was pre-iPhone, but you have to understand, like, I grew up in a small town where people don't leave. So for me to be the kid to be working in Manhattan was weird enough. Then I meet this guy, and I want to have a, like, I want to try to have a family unit because I didn't come from a family unit. I give up my my passions, myself to try to fit in. You cannot deny who you are. Like we can pretend, like we could pretend to fit in for a little while, but at the end of the day, in one way or another, it will always come back to nudge you, you know? And it's whether you make the decision at 50 or 20 or whatever. I really like that. I mean, I, I relate to that tremendously. You know, I went through the entirety of my professional working career doing stuff, chasing money, like basically doing everything that I could to like not figure out the thing that was like important to me, which is now creating art, this podcast, like building a life for myself that is wholly outside of what I had spent the entirety of my adult working life doing. And I think that's the norm, right? Like that's like very easy for people to do, like not really focus on the things that they 
would like to do for a career, but what's the easy thing to do? And the easy thing might not be easy. Being a doctor, being a lawyer, being a teacher, none of those things are easy, right? But inherently, it is the easier path than like taking time to look inward and figuring out what you want to do with your life. Like, I think I got well, lucky in that it's regard. A safe path. Yeah. 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 That's the least like, resistance. It's, like, it's the reason, it's why people follow religion because it gives you a template or astrology or tarot. It gives you a template to say, okay, the responsibility is not so much on me. So if I mess up, then I follow, I just followed your, you know, <laughs> so I think people like to give their power away because they think that someone else is smarter than them. Mm. And that's very interesting. They're afraid. They're afraid to go out on a limb. I think people like to blend in. Like people don't really like to stand out because what if you're wrong? Yeah. Hey, listen, I, I, I can, I feel that like, you know, there, I've been very loud about like the path that led me here. I've been very transparent about what I'm doing with my career now. And there's, for sure the possibility that I could fail, but like the the manner in which I view failure now is not the same as it was two plus years ago, right? It's okay to right. fail now. Two years ago, it wasn't okay. I, I hid the fact that I lost my job during the pandemic. I just, you know, I, I, I shunned any sort of negative light on the fact that I, John Pachuto, could have failed in any capacity in life. And I think that's the safe route for a lot of people, but it's not something that I'm afraid to do anymore. Like I'm, I'm very transparent about my life. I think you gain some comfortability in your own skin as you get older. Certainly for me, when I hit 34, you know, two years ago, there was just something about the place of the world where I was in and how I fit into it that allowed myself to open up and be able to like expose what I wanted. Right. And what I thought of myself and all these things. And it's been a huge blessing, but like, it's not that easy. And, and I can't even imagine, you know, someone like you who's, who's going through those things at a multiple levels with family, with relationships, with jobs, with work, like it's just an ever compounding factor of, of all of that. Yeah. I had a lot of eczema covering my entire body and I like lost stress it. eczema. I lost yeah. Well, I was born with eczema, but I had like a very severe outbreak during those years um, because my poor body was just like, didn't know what to do because I, I, there was no safe space, you know. Mm. That's um, very interesting. I'm, I'm curious, you know, from being 15 and being told you're like too fat for whatever you're wearing to having extreme comfort in your own skin now as an OnlyFans uh Model, actor, I don't know what to call it. OnlyFans. I would say person. model. Model. OnlyFans model. Okay, cool. Because yeah. um, you, uh, you can have an OnlyFans and be a chef, but I just, you know, OnlyFans model. Um, yeah. I like that. Um, talk to me about that journey because, like, you know, having probably a significant amount of self-consciousness about yourself and your body to then make a living with said body that probably shows a bit of growth as uh, you know, a female. Well, it's a great story. Let's talk about it. Okay. <laughs> so I was ripped apart for being curvaceous all throughout the nineties in my, you know, in the modeling world. And they categorized me in the beauty division because that really shot from here up. And I did a lot of book covers and, and stuff like that. So they, they were like, you're never going to be a supermodel, but we're going to find a place for you. But mm -hmm. 
Then as I got older, I had only retired from acting when I had that little nervous breakdown for a few years. And then 18, I was like, graduated from Dover Business College, left the job like midday, went to Starbucks, had a nervous breakdown in my car. I was like, I need to be not in an office with no window. So I had this boyfriend, Rocco. Shout out, Rocco. Um, he, his mom was an art teacher at that really famous Philly School of Arts. And so we were living in Brooklyn. I had moved to LA, was acting there, didn't really, I did very well, but I didn't like living in LA. I came back, I went to Brooklyn. I met Rocco. And Rocco's mom was like, you should be a figure model. And this is when I really, like, there are a few times in my life that I learned, like, everything is relative. And mm -hmm. then this was like, everything is relative. So <laughs> I talked my way into the School of Visual Arts College. They had auditions for nude models. She was like, you should be a figure model, Rocco's mom. And I was like, what is that? And she's like, you're naked in front of, like, art students. I was like, that is wild. I was like, okay, maybe I could do this. I was like, maybe I could do this. So the auditions were over, but I had caught it like just by like a week or two. And I called the office and I was like, please, I could come in today. So I went in, the guy was super nice. Um, and he was like, okay, yeah, you're great. Like, let's do it. Like, I'll sign you up. It's very corporate, right? So deadlines, yeah. schedules. It's not like a free-for-all art, whatever. Yeah. So the fact that I was even able to get in that semester was a big deal. So I go to model at the School of Visual Arts, and I do the nude modeling. And people are going nuts for my body. <laughs> and I was like, what? So are they painting you, photographing you? What's going on painting, here? All of drawing. the above? Yes. So... I did like a lot of the fine art painting classes. Um, just, I worked there for years. So, oh my God. Wow. You, you mean my curvy body, my short legs, like you guys like <laughs> So that gave me so much like. Confidence. Perspective. Perspective. Mm on my audience and the demographic that I wanted to connect with. It mm. wasn't going to be like, I had grown up watching like on MTV and VH1 on Saturdays, they would have like the runway shows. And I thought all I wanted to be when I was little was like a runway model. Like I just thought that that was like the most gorgeous, glamorous, coolest thing ever. Right. But my agent brought me into the office, stood me next to Desiree, who was six feet tall and did runway. And she goes, this is never going to be you. And I was like, Ugh. that was when we had the talk about putting me in the beauty division because beauty didn't matter about height or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Whereas like, you know, high fashion did. So I learned a lot about perspective and like my demographic and who I was appealing to and why why always struggle upstream when you can float downstream like that was my demographic the fine art students not a bad demographic to have right so not at all i worked doing that for years 
and loved it. But it's a very hard job because you have to hold a position for hours. You know, you get breaks mm -hmm. in between. But so how I came to be an OnlyFans model, is that what you, is that what you want to know? Yeah, well, it was like, you know, the, how the, uh, the the question was, how have you, like, gained the confidence and, and comfortability in your own skin, you know, going from having, like, that traumatic experience in your early teens with your body and body image issues to then, you know, well, you answered the question, putting your body on well, display for other really, people. I didn't really have the body image issues. Other people had them for me. Like, oh, okay. other people had an opinion about my body. But... I never felt bad about my body. Like, That's amazing. I bummed out that I didn't fit into what I wanted to, which was like runway modeling. Um, but if I was a runway model, I probably wouldn't have been an actor. You know, mm. so like, and when I was little, if I didn't get a job, I am very philosophical. Even as a little kid, I just remember saying to myself, it wasn't the job that was meant for me. Like, I'll get another one. And I did. And I booked a bigger one than the one that I lost. You know, so it was like, I've always been a person, even a child who had just like perspective on life. You know, like, I get it. I get the flow. So that was how I really kind of found my audience, not so much acceptance with myself, but like my audience and who appreciated what I brought to the table because I, I'm not, the, I, I cannot diet. Like mm -hmm. I cannot starve myself. Like I can, I just knew that I couldn't. So I had to pivot and find who was going to accept me for who I am. So it was yeah. a fine art community. So I love them for that. I mean, that's a, that's a beautiful story. Um, talk about entrepreneurship, like starting, I, I mean, in OnlyFans model, you know, uh, a hairstylist, these are all self-starter, self-motivated businesses that require a ton of initial startup of, you know, networking energy. And, and energy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, that's it. That's like truly, truly remarkable. Um, how have you feel like I sort of, you know, as a photographer, I take a lot of naked pictures, not of myself, of other people. Um, and you're missing out I, on the full market. I'm telling you. Yeah. Me and my hairy ass. Um, <laughs> I, uh, you know, it, it's funny when, before I was a full-time photographer, I, I really thought that like take the, there would be nothing more sexual than taking like naked photos of another human being, whether it was a male or female, it would just be an inherently sexual tensioned environment. Um, and I quickly realized that it, it is devoid of everything and anything sexual. It is, I, you know, it is work, right? I'm there to perform a task and a job and a duty. Um, OnlyFans is not quite that, right? There is a sexual component to it. Um, how is that process sort of unfolded for you? Because you've been incredibly successful at it and it's not like your typical job. No. Well, how I kind of parlayed into the OnlyFans was I did a photo shoot for me and my place. Okay. And this was like back in 2009. I had done a web series and the directors and producers of the web series wanted me like we did my own show we just shot one episode and it was me going and making pizza in brooklyn at a pizzeria <laughs> in williamsburg 
Uh, it used to have the garbage can that said T Hanks with like a picture of Tom Hanks. So if anybody is in Brooklyn and they know that pizza shop, shout out pizza shop. So I, they wanted me, we did the pizza episode and then they were like, there's this website, me and my place. We want you to do a photo shoot for it. And we want to film you doing the photo shoot. So I emailed, I emailed the photographer And at the time, he was doing it anonymously. And he said, look, I don't want to be on camera. I don't want to put my face out there. But I would love to shoot you for me in my place. So through me in my place, I had a very tiny, tiny picture in Esquire. Yes. Oh, cool. Um, Which then parlayed into more photo shoots with me in my place. And then he had started an app. And this was like 2013, maybe 14. Mm -hmm. And I was like, what? What? I was like, he's like, yeah, I think you'd be great. And I I really had to take a step back and think, like, is this how I want to make a living? And then I had to think yes or no. But then I also had to say, okay, well, what are my boundaries? Mm -hmm. Um, Because the more boundaries you have, quite honestly, the less money you make, you know? Oh, that's interesting. Yes. Now, also, I'm a businesswoman, so I understand longevity. So if you Mm -hmm. give it all away immediately, then, like, what is there to build up to? Like, everyone Mm -hmm. likes to edge it out a little bit in life. Like, get a little turned on. Okay, pull it back. Like, that's (laughs) how you build a stable relationship is, like, you give each other a little bit and then you pull back. You, you think about each other. You, you know, like the juices get flowing and then, you know, a little bit more. So I really had to think like, wow, okay. And what are the consequences? You know, it's very tough when it comes to relationships. Um, so I did, I did the app, um, the find row app for a long time. And for me coming from a, an actual real modeling background and a fine art modeling background, I knew that the way that I was going to portray myself wasn't going to make me the most money, but it was going to give me the most authentic connection to my viewers. And it was going to give me a long career because it would, it would be something that I would be able to maintain. Like I don't do anything vulgar and Shout out to the girls who do want to do that. I totally understand. Like, that's what you feel comfortable with. But, like, that just is not what I feel comfortable with. Sure. I I find the that we're sort of rapidly approaching a point where there's a massive destigmatization of things like OnlyFans and sex work to a larger degree i don't personally consider something like OnlyFans as sex work i mean i guess if you were having sex on camera for an OnlyFans, right. in theory that's sex yeah. work i don't think of a person who's like putting pictures or feet or boobs or something on on an app is sex work right like i, I yeah i i mean i think it would fall like technically but i personally don't consider it sex work unless you literally are having sex I agree. Like on uh, yeah. I don't know if that's extremely pragmatic of me or progressive of me, but I, I would agree with that assessment. Um, my question for you is there is, ob- in, like you mentioned, with relationships and with family and things like that, there's an obvious stigmatization of 
this career, right? Of this job that you do. How do you juggle that? Fuck them. (laughs) Fuck you. I love that. My bills. Do you, do you cook my animal fresh organic beef when he like, fuck you. Like seriously kick rocks and suck a dick. Cause like, fuck you. I'm like, that is seriously. And I, let me explain something to you. The torture and torment I got as a child for being on toy box covers gave me this attitude today. People Mm. will always have a problem with how you make your money. If you're doing it and you enjoy it and you have free time and you have freedom people, you, you could be doing it. You could be selling parachutes. And if that pisses people off because you have freedom, like, do you understand what I'm saying? It's all relative. It's all relative. And if somebody has a problem with how I make my living, that is absolutely not someone I want in my corner. Because I, and I'll tell you why, because I have such clear standards and I have lived, I feel like a life that I'm proud of and I'm a person that I am proud of and proud to be, who is, who has any right to tell me? No, I agree. I mean, listen, fundamentally, I agree. And there is this like hypersensitivity that is, yeah, (laughs) Yeah, see, I couldn't say any other. There is this hypersensitive nature that is going around society nowadays, and it's probably fueled by social media. But it would be very easy to understand why a lot of people don't choose this path. While it can be an incredibly lucrative career, while it can be a fun way to earn a living, it there is a stigma that comes with it, and there is a lot of backlash that comes with it as well. That mantra of, like, fuck you, you're not buying my groceries, I don't give a shit, I think is great i mean it it just it's 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 articulating who you are as a human being and like you said going from 15 to being you know told your whatever for you know tampon boxes and stuff to now it's it's understandable that you would have that sort of tough skin to be able to weather i mean the dumb shit that i'm sure people say yeah i feel like i've cultivated a really nice audience i think everybody really respects me and i very very rarely get anything inappropriate and i've done this for a long time so people i think you know i say if anyone ever says like oh show more i'm like you can literally go online and see so much more of somebody else but that is not why i do this i you know marilyn monroe she had a woman she went to look at a house and she the man came out and then the woman came out and said, get off my property. I don't want someone like you on my property. The greatest, most beautiful icon of our time, right? So people are going to hate you and shit on you no matter what. And that's why I'm okay being an entrepreneur. You know, that's why Mm -hmm. all of these, you know, all of these little parts of my life have come together Like, I've never been in a non-competitive industry, you know? And, like, I I am so thankful for those mean girls in school. I am so thankful for the mean girls in the business. I'm I'm thankful for them because I would not be able to endure what it takes to be an entrepreneur if I hadn't had that training. And I think that that comes down to what's wrong in the world 
today as a whole is because I think a lot of people thought that they were doing the best thing to give participation awards and all that stuff. <laughs> but really what it does is it makes you lack character. Mm. You know, and my mom always said to me, no one cares that you're fucking pretty. She, you know, if anyone gave me a compliment, she'd be like, oh, she's kind of fat, though. You know, like she always, <laughs> I know, if we if we passed the husky section when I was 12, she'd be like, oh, that's where we have to shop for you. So oh I God. like shredded, shredded. But, you know, I don't think people should verbally abuse their children. But I think that people should kind of like take the kid gloves off a little bit because they're really doing their children a disservice like mm -hmm. life if you want to be successful life is hard yeah no that i agree with i, I also think that you know to, so i spend a lot of time in a roundabout way ending up where i am now right like i i wrote something today and i hadn't i hadn't written in years like i literally just started writing again for the first time in the last few months it's Very been a real treat yes oh, i don't know I what just, that means i'm sorry i had to loop it back to astrology but it's good oh, okay it's yeah. yeah, so I've been writing a lot again recently, and, and when I started initially in my, like, quote-unquote writing career, I, like, didn't tell anyone that I was doing it. I was very ashamed of it. I was like, oh, my God, who do I think I am? Fucking Bukowski, like, writing on the internet for all these websites and shit. And I was, like, I wasn't embarrassed, but I was, like, very much not putting it out there. Um, and I wrote like an article that went super viral and then I started owning it because like people were like, oh, this is so cool. And then I very quickly like distanced myself from it. I was like, I don't, I shouldn't be this person. I am John making a lot of money. I am John buying nice watches and living life to the excess. That's like who I thought society wanted to me to be. And I didn't spend, it took me a very long time to like re ask those questions of like, what should I be doing? Um, what I like about what the story that you just told me is that you've had that comfort in your skin forever, right? And that's something that I outwardly would portray, but never inwardly felt. And I think that's a truly uh, wonderful sort of existence because as I've gotten older, and I don't really give a fuck about what people think other than, you know, my close friends and family, I've been able to build a life for myself outside of the quote unquote norm. You know, I'm not an OnlyFans model, but I'm doing and pursuing art and doing and pursuing podcasting and writing and doing all these things that no one else that I'm like really friends with are, is doing, but right. it's what makes me happy. And at the end of the day, if you're not paying my bills, you really don't have an opinion on what I'm doing. And it's, it's nice to be able to feel that way at 15. It's a lot for me, a lot easier to have felt that way in my thirties. Um, I think it's, it's just really cool. Thank you. I appreciate that. It has made me a walking target because mm -hmm. people who don't feel comfortable in their skin get very pissed off when they see you comfortable in your skin. So I think for me, I like to operate with compassion. Yeah. And I really try to, like, I definitely find myself always wanting to build people up around me. You're, you look beautiful. Oh my God, I love your lipstick. Or you know, whatever, you know, I really try that it's made me like, no, at the end of the day, I absolutely do not care what anybody thinks about me, but I care what they think about themselves. Yeah. I've and gotten I want them to feel good. I've gotten surprisingly soft in my old age. Like I just genuinely want people to be happy. Like I am 
so happy like all the time i don't have a million dollars in the bank i don't drive a nice car i don't i don't have any of those things that i used to ascribe to success and happiness right but i am constantly fulfilled i like i'll get off this podcast i'll be i'll have a like a soul high i'll feel good about the yeah. conversation i'll edit it i'll feel better about it i'll post it i'll feel great about it and then it's on to the next one like i found the things that make sense for me as as like john and that is the most freeing thing on earth i think it's it's great the the one thing that i've struggled with is like honestly like how do i frame what is like my success metrics as i've developed this art career right like for me everything used to be tied to money everything used to be tied to status it's not really about that anymore right like can i buy groceries can i pay my rent these are the things that are pragmatically things that i think about but like that's like the only thing that i've struggled with in my new career and to be honest none of that really matters right well you're still kind of like putting a measuring scale on it sure. when that that measuring scale really like I don't have, my sister has a big house and three kids and a beautiful car and they're country club members and whatever. None of that appeals to me on a soul level at all. You know, mm. if I were a typical woman, I'd be like, ah, no, I'm so happy for her. If that's her dream. That's not my dream. You know, yeah. do I want a home and a family and all of that stuff? Yes, absolutely. But for me, waking up every day and just feeling thankful, you know, because there were times in my life that I woke up and things didn't feel right. And, until, mm. and you now know that feeling of it feeling right. So if you yeah. ever had to go back to it not feeling right, it would feel exponentially worse. Because now you know that freedom. Yeah. What did, what did you, in those instances where things didn't feel right, where things were wrong, what did you do to sort that out? Like what, what was like your process for? I started, I started making moves. And let me tell you this. <laughs> let me tell you this. I started making moves. Whether okay. the moves are All right, Rocco. Right. Yes. <laughs> yes. Hey, you know, I dated Rocco. Let me tell you about the moves. Let me tell you. Whether they're wrong or right. If you just put yourself in motion, you will get to the next right place. Like I've mm. done wild shit before. Like I've done wild shit. And I'll just give you like a, a quick little example. Let's say you're in a relationship and you're not quite sure, hemming, hawing, whatever. Just decide. You know what? Both feet in. I'm going full force. I'm committing to this relationship. Whether or not that relationship is right for you will reveal itself within a week or two mm -hmm. or a month very quickly. So that's what I mean about putting yourself in motion. I would just start making decisions. I stopped acting officially when I was 27. <clears throat> and I did not know what my next step was going to be. So you know what I did? I started putting myself in motion. I applied to FIT to be a fashion merchandiser. I got denied twice. <laughs> and six months in between your letters, and I got denied both times. So that's a year of my time. Then I decided, you know what? I'm going to go back to hair school. So at 27 years old, I started to look for hair schools to go to. And I ended up Googling most prestigious hair school in Manhattan, and it was Erojo, the one that I graduated from. The one that I went to, I graduated from. But I just started putting stuff in motion. Is that like law of attraction? 
I feel like it probably is, but at the time, at 27 years old, I think I was just going with my intuition. Like, mm-hmm. like I knew that if I rested on my laurels, nothing was ever going to happen. But if I yeah. just put myself like out there, I knew something would happen. Just mm-hmm. from the trajectory of my childhood and my life, because remember, I got denied from Ford three years in a row. They also told me that I was too ethnic to be on TV. And then I ended up having a lovely little career. You know what I mean? So I knew that if I just put something in motion, that it would spark the right thing to happen. I believe in that. Um, Two and a half year ago, John did not believe in that. But for all intents and purposes... I've manifested the entirety of what has transacted for me in the last six, seven, eight months. It took two years, right? Like, I think that's the the thing about entrepreneurship. Like, it takes time to build something. Yeah. The the fallacy of overnight success is exactly that. It is a fallacy. Every overnight success takes years and years and years to, to make it be a thing. But when I start putting out in the universe that I'm going to achieve certain things, it started happening. It's crazy. It's that law of attraction manifestation sort of thing that if you put it out there and believe it, you can make it become a reality. There was a lot of times in my 20s when I fucking was pushing myself away from writing where I was like, this is dumb. What are you doing? Who do you think you are? Right? Like I should have been leaning into that. I I, I could right. be a published author at this point. I could be doing so many different things with my life. Had I like listened to myself, right? It's very easy to go against that. But when you start putting out in the universe, what you want, it's going to come to you. If you, as long as you believe in yourself, no one else is there to stop you. It's up to you to make what you want out of your life. It truly is. We really are, we are the only ones who limit ourselves. Truth. It, you know? So it's like, we feel exposed and we feel vulnerable. Like you, writing is clearly a passion. Photography, you're very, very talented. Okay? Thank you. And But you just thought, like, who am I to be happy and create this and whatever? Mm-hmm. You know? But But it was your path to, like, reject it. And then to come come back to it, you know, totally and you'll appreciate that. it so much more now because, like I said before, like you knew, you now know that freedom of creation. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I, I I'm an immensely grateful and thankful person as well. Um, I th- I think everything that has happened to get me to this point in life was there for a reason, and I'm mm-hmm. continually thankful. Like, who the fuck knows? I don't know what tomorrow is going to bring, or next week, or next month, or next year. But I'm going to just keep doing what I want to do, and it will hopefully keep rewarding me based on the hard work and dedication that I put into the stuff that I love. Literally one foot in front of the other. It's like mm-hmm. the, it's like if you were in recovery. It's like one hour at a time, one day, like one yeah. day at a time. It really yeah. is. It's like if you just keep putting the energy in, eventually something will happen. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree with that. I, I think it's like one of the beautiful things about the universe. Like things happen for a reason. People come in and out of your life for a reason. Jobs come in and out of your life for a reason. There's a there's. You can put any sort of cosmic significance on anything you want in your life, but as long as you point yourself in the right direction, you put one foot in front of another, you can be happy, you can be successful. And I like being a testament to that. I, you know, I'm who the fuck am I? I'm literally nobody, but I am an extremely happy, well adjusted human being. And I think you can be one too. Not you, but, you know, you, the listeners. (laughs) You, the listeners, yes.
<laughs> and Candace. I, I want you to be happy as well. <laughs> yes, thank you. Um, uh, Candace, uh, I am so immensely grateful that somehow the universe brought you back into my life. And I am so immensely appreciative of you coming on the podcast with me today and having this conversation. Uh, I have a cheesy line. If you've been on my podcast, you're part of my family. I'm just immensely grateful to have had this conversation. And thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. It was my pleasure. Take care.